we were very happy with the performance of that first LP investment. And we just kept on going down that path. And then I quit my career in 2019. Jennifer, a couple of years later, quit hers. Um, and this is what we do full, full time. Hello, and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexterman. I'm excited to have Spencer Hilligas. Spencer, how are you doing today? Doing great, Todd. Thanks so much for having me here. Honored to yeah, be here. Definitely. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Spencer is a CEO and co-founder of Madison Investing, which is a real estate investment firm that specializes in real estate syndication. So listeners, you're probably pretty aware of that. So we're going to dive in. As a passive investor and active syndicator, Spencer understands the unique challenges that busy, busy professionals face uh, and, you know, can relate and dive in and help people starting out in that uh, kind of journey. Uh, Spencer's mission is to arm investors with the know-how they need to have in order to make those decisions. So Spencer, with that, I, I just want to let you kind of dive more into your background and uh, give our listeners just a, a little bit more color, kind of where you came from and uh, what you're doing today. Yeah, happy to. And in, you know, the year 2023, man, as an investor, passive investor, active investor, uh, whatever side of the world you're on, it is a strange and disorienting time. And so yeah. more important than ever, right, to educate, uh, educate oneself and just connect with other folks that you respect and appreciate. So thanks again, Todd. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I'm based out here uh, these days in the Bay Area, California, little island city tucked right next to Oakland and San Francisco. Um, I lead Madison Investing, which is like a passive investing club of other LPs, other passive investors. And never in my life did I think I would end up sitting in a seat like this full-time passive investor. I grew up in a real estate household. Um, my dad was a real estate broker, residential Bay area, you know, without giving you the whole life story. Um, he had me working open houses as a teenager before that I was mm. doing just admin and stuff, you know, a clean little fridge that was super gross to like a kid when he was having <laughs> to do the dirty work for that. Um, all that to say, I ran screaming away from that into tech companies when I was old mm -hmm. enough to work uh, and somehow found myself in a 13-year career. So that's what I did for the, the, the lion's share of my career up until 2019 when I retired uh, before it was cool to do the whole quiet quitting thing as they'd sound brand <laughs> That was a pre-COVID. Yeah. yeah, so this was actually, it was about five months. Uh, yeah, five months uh, before COVID hit the airwaves and all of us globally. Uh, in, in, in hindsight, looking back, you know, that was leadership gigs, you know, growing teams up to 200 people and managing uh, big groups uh, in customer experience and sales and support teams for fintech, financial tech companies like Intuit mm -hmm. that makes quick, QuickBooks, TurboTax, all the rest. And that journey was never expected. I never wanted to be a manager, never wanted to be a leader. Um, I was just trying to, you know, go play in some punk rock bands and metal and have fun as a kid and um, hence all the tattoos. All that to say though, here we sit, um, you know, we just got back from spending six weeks living in Sintra, Portugal, hmm. um, on the other side of the planet. Never done something like that. Brought our two young boys, my wife and co-founder, Jennifer. Uh, she's the COO of our company. And I share all that context because the from two, when I look back in hindsight, like everything else in life, Todd, right? I mean, hindsight's 2020. But as you're chopping your way through decision-making, you know, a few years ago as a father for our first and then growing our family to have our second kid, I was grinding so hardcore within that world of tech companies. I was working... 80 hours a week in office and celebrating my maxed out 401ks. Yeah. Feeling, feeling great about that. <laughs> um, you know, in hindsight, I, I remember the the day literally when I said, okay, well, I'm going to turn off my contributions to my 401k today, you know, and, and that was a scary thing. And, and man, now that seems silly and I laugh at it, you know, but. Were you investing? Like, why did you turn those contributions off? Were you investing heavily at that point in time in real estate? That was like right on the brink, right? I think th th that was right around the brink of where it was like, we had already bought at that point a duplex hmm. and we went through it. You know, in hindsight, I can framework into the three, three phase journey thing here, but again, not clear at the time. Bought hmm. a local duplex around that time, $430,000 Bay Area duplex. That's a California price point. And this is not, and that's higher now, you know, yeah. uh, but, you know, putting over six figures of down payment into that, um, thinking I knew what cash flow meant. Uh, so that was around the time I turned off my contributions to my 401k because I was like, 
there's better ways to do this. So you you just said, hey, I'm not, I'm not financially you weren't there yet. I mean, you weren't you didn't have all this big amount of real estate, but you're just like, look, this 401k is not doing it for me. I got to take that money that's allocated to the 401k and I'm going to put it into real estate. That's right. I mean, and we had done, we as in Jennifer and I had our own distinct careers. We had been doing great on W2 income. We worked our butts off for that. Right. And yeah. um, all that to say, like, I, I looked at the math. I looked at the math after I devoured 24 books in an 18 month period, which mm -hmm. is way more than anyone should go and read. Um, it's, it's overkill. I, I was procrastinating after the third, right? Uh, all that to say though, I looked at the math and I looked at the math and I thought, well, I have a younger son, not, not soon after, later second on the way. I didn't see an off ramp from that. You know, folks join Silicon Valley tech companies because they, in the back of their mind, whether they say it or not, they want the Silicon Valley lottery ticket to go. <laughs> they want, they want the next Google. They want to be they, an early you know. team, early team member of the next Uber, you know, pick a big exit company. Yeah. Um, and I just saw that the math wasn't working out. Why should I keep dropping money into a 401k at this company's and working this hard if I can't spend time with my family? Yeah. If I don't see an off ramp for that, if I'm not insulating my family with a financial moat, best metaphor I can think of, um, something. And so we went from that duplex after we realized, damn, that 100k went out the door pretty quick for $200 a month in cash flow, which is a huge win, Todd. I mean, in California markets oh, for cash flow, it was 200 bucks a month. Or oh yeah. It's gone up, you know, in all fairness, it's gone up a few hundred thousand bucks appreciation, but it's an appreciation. Sure. Part, you know, sure. And I didn't get that at the time. So then we got up to think of it as phase two of a three-part phase. It was a uh, buying up to five single family rentals mm -hmm. in the Midwest. Um, got those in Kansas city. Turnkey. 200. Uh, th those were turnkey. Yep. Turnkey. Um, small, yeah. some newer provider, smaller, newer provider, but I, I was able to back channel vet the heck out of them just because of some relationships. And I'd, I'd met the partners before okay. and, um, 250 bucks a month, average cash flow for 60, 60 K per purchase price on average. That's mm -hmm. pretty damn good. Uh, all that to say though, didn't know what it meant to have your annual turnover in C minus dare I say, maybe even D plus neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so there you go. <laughs> um, we, so we kept them, they were paying in the butt. Rentals are semi-passive as I will stake, put that stake in the ground and say at their best with a great property manager, a rental is semi-passive at best. Um, and these are turnkey though. That, that's key right there. Cause a lot of people think they're going to go buy the duplex, go buy the single family houses, and it's going to be passive because they've got a property management company. Now this is turnkey. <clears throat> this is already renovated. Everything's right. set to go. Property management company in place. And you're telling me it wasn't passive. Very well said. Yeah. And it was not only not passive, you know, you get those notices from, from the county or the city, usually the county saying, Hey, there's this couch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's this couch on the lawn of this property. turns out you're the owner. What's with this couch? And you're like, why are we getting this? Yeah. You know, and, 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 and then there's like dozens of other things you got to deal with the, the property tax, et cetera. And some people who are active might say, well, that stuff's easy. It'd be like, you're deep into it. The folks who typically have that reaction, like, you know, like yourself and myself are deeper into this stuff than, than the average person out there. Yeah, we, we were still working full time and I was demanding, I was leading teams of people. I had to wake up in the morning, do my job before the job to take care of the property stuff along with Jennifer. Right. And so anyways, um, we that went through that journey. And that stuff is easy, right? It, it truly is. It's not that right. much work, but it takes time away and it takes emotional damage. I think that's the thing that people forget about is like, when I, when I, I still own a bunch of single families and I've sold a lot of them, but when I get a problem with a single family, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to deal with this crap. And it's not even that much. Right. I just, but that's not what my focus is on today. Right. So it's like, this sucks. It's like, wait a second. It's just, a letter came to you about a couch on your lawn. Like, why is that so bad? But it, it's just an emotional drain on you. You have to think about it. You have to stop and figure out how that problems get. And again, it's not that much time. It's just, do you, is that really what you want to spend your time dealing with and thinking about? And you just articulated it so eloquently on the damage of the context switch, right? And it's not just, oh yeah, is it hard to field an inquiry that says like, hey, go get this couch off this lawn? Is it hard to go and pay a property tax bill administratively, assuming you got the cash, you know? And no, these are just activities that are adding more admin to the pile. And that's the whole point. We wanted yeah. to be that we thought that was passive. Passive to me means 
very low touch, if any, once you're in that, once you've allocated that capital. So we bought and sold, we actually ended up selling all five of those um, at a profit. Well, it wasn't some huge home run, but it was a profit. Um, then we entered phase three and we were still working full time. This is back in about 2017, uh, 2017, 2018. Um, we invested in as LPs uh, in a family deal. And at that point, um, I was actually working in the guts of the, uh, what was at the time may still be the biggest uh, fix and fit, fix and flip bridge lender in the country. Uh, it was lending home now rebranded Kiavi. It was a great experience, man. Um, and, and I saw the numbers on those deals on the inside, right. As I was leading the teams of origination doing 600 fix and flip loans a month. And so as an operations leader, um, in FinTech companies, I got the math. I can't swing a hammer for, for anything, man. Um, I use YouTube every day to try to save me on that one around the house, but it's, I got the math and I looked and said, I don't want to be a flipper, but I saw how much that some of these folks within fix and flip scale businesses were doing. And I was like, I just got to get more active in this stuff. I got, you know, I, I got to dive into it. And that's really when I started to look more at the bigger properties at the commercial properties at multifamily specifically and later storage. And, and that clicked for me in a much more meaningful way, because I just got all the things that you've talked about. And I mean, frankly, and I've heard really, really in wonderfully experienced and intelligent people on your show in, in years past, Todd, talk about why, the merits of these asset classes. So I don't need to, re, to rehash that for folks necessarily, but predictability, there's just more of it. You know, all those things clicked with me as an operations guy. Yeah. Like if I, if I, that, that same 100K that I dropped into that California 430K duplex for 200 bucks a month in cash flow, that doesn't come along with the same type of tax stuff, tax benefits that I get now. If I make an investment into, right. LP, into an LP spot, way different, right? And and so, um, and frankly, you front end the due diligence on these things. Like when I when I look at the subscription documents, the legal agreements, and I just decide is that a great deal. Once I've done that, if it's with the right team, there isn't the couch notification that I get. Yep. I don't yep. get yep. the property tax bill. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Sure. We were very happy with the performance of that first LP investment. And we just kept on going down that path. And then I quit my career in 2019. Jennifer, a couple of years later, quit hers. Um, and this is what we do full, full time. So that was a long-winded uh, way to get kind of get through that. But I would just say that it's a common journey. And you, it sounds like you've gone through your own single family journey as well, Todd. It's it's a interesting uh, hashing through of decisions and figuring <laughs> out really what is lower touch in the world of passive investing. But uh, now the real challenge in 2023 is like looking across a more confusing landscape than ever of yep. where, where to really think about and discern what's a smart place to deploy capital. Um, and we also just as recently as yesterday, you know, talking to a new member of our investor group and um, he's asking me for like, what do I think about folks who are getting in to do their first one right now? You know, and it's all mm -hmm. just comes back to fundamental principles. It's like, take your time. You know, I, like I would, I would take my time. I would educate myself. I would, look past asset class first. And I would think about what is my goal. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I, I, I give myself that, that, that personal advice as I look across the market right now. Are you asset class agnostic? Like, are you paying attention? Is there certain ones that you say, this is, I'm not touching this, or I love this one. You know, I am very biased toward, uh, multifamily, um, very biased towards self-storage. Um, so I wish I could say I was truly agnostic. I, I I can't get away from the wisdom that was shared with me by a mentor back in my corporate career. Uh, this is years ago, not a real estate person whatsoever, but just really, really ushered along my journey. Um, and, and they said, you know, double down on the things that you know, um, but and, and just be aware when you start stepping outside into areas that you don't and, and focus mm -hmm. on what you know, you know, stick to, and then lean into those strengths. Yeah. Um, and so I know multifamily, um, not as much as a hands-on active operator who's boots on the ground, but I, I know it well. Uh, and I've walked dozens and dozens of properties across a dozen different states in this country. You know, we've partnered on 45 different deals at this point actively. Like it's, I know these asset classes. And so I love the merits, uh, a few of the ones out there. I just don't necessarily want to bring myself to jump into a deal unless I really understand the big picture. What's the demand for the asset? And what are the drivers behind it um, and, and and how to operate that thing, at least well enough to know how to vet the person that's managing it from afar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. I think um, it's, I think it was Gary Keller uh, in the one thing he talks about, 
um, you know, taking instead of people say, don't put your eggs in one basket. And he says, well, put your eggs in one basket, but protect that basket really well. And it's kind of Ooh. what you're talking about. Like you, you could invest in every single asset class in real estate. You could go and do syndications that are oil and gas and ATMs and, you know, all kinds. There's so many things out there, right. That you could be bringing to your group, but you're protecting, you got the basket or baskets and you're protecting them. You're saying, this is what I know, right? This is, this is what I'm going right. to focus on. I'm good at this. Like I know how to look at these and I don't necessarily know how to look at those as well. So let's focus right. on these ones. I think yeah. you nailed it. I mean, and even if I think about a couple other wonderful asset classes, ones that you, you, you probably are very familiar with, right? Like I look at ones such as like senior housing, man, the big demand driver is, is they're so clear to me and I'm not pitching the asset class here. Like I actually have no financial in, ties into any of that stuff right now currently. Um, but I would just say, I look at that and that is, I, I've circled that so many times and looked at it going, wow, there's going to be, and there already is an incredible strong and growing demand in that space. Right. Just to, just to give a shout out to that asset class. Cause it's like, but then again, I'm not sitting down and going, let me go read that stack of books. Let me go deep into the underwrites on a, on 500 different deals for a couple different of these very specialized, very complex, you know, nuanced asset class until that moment happens. And I'm prepared to go do that. And I'm using that purely as an example. Yep. Then I don't know if I feel comfortable sharing out that type of asset class for other people in our investor group and saying, Hey, look, we believe in this team. We believe in this deal. Here's why here's not just the quantitative, but here's also what we see in the, the playbook and the competency and the track record for the team. That's going to be operating that asset. Same principles apply at the highest level, whether it's multifamily, whether it's self-storage, whether it's mobile home parks, you know, down the list, I mean, oil and gas and beyond Just try to stick to what I know. And then when we decide to go do something new, like, like medical office, we did some medical office stuff last year. It went very well. Um, but I would say that that was a big thing to, it was a momentous thing, dare I say, for us at least to say, we're going to go and put a stake in the ground to go do one new asset class. And let's go learn it really well as we lean into that with the right partnerships and find the right people who can run these things well, you know, but multifamily and self-storage, man, um, those have been the key focuses. Yeah. I think that's super important. You know, like, like, like we already said, you could, you could go and, and do everything you can invest in, in all these kinds of asset classes, but what you don't know, you do know that senior housing, for instance, is expl has explosive growth that's going to be happening over the next 20 years. I mean, it's going to be amazing, the explosive growth. But you don't know, unless you dig into it, you don't know what the pitfalls are. Right. Where can things go wrong? What You know what happens with multifamily. You know what happens with self-storage. Now you know what happens with medical. You know what can go wrong with those asset classes. But if you don't know anything about senior housing, you just go, wow, look at look at the demand drivers. This is going to be an amazing asset class. And you go, I'm going to invest in this asset class. And you don't realize what the pitfalls are. You don't, you're not protecting your investment. You're not protecting your investors because we don't know what can go wrong. Totally. Absolutely. And, and like, it's the... I forget who said uh, this and I'm going to butcher it, but it's not the known, um, it's not the known dangers that hurt you. It's the unknown unknowns. Right. Um, and, and I think you just kind of hit that as like, if your radar, if, if we all had the radar, you know, figuratively, if our radar is not tuned to see all the risks of something, cause we don't even know enough to know what those risks are, then we're going to get ourselves in hot water, man. Yep. And that's the stuff that keeps me up at night. You know, it, it, right now, looking at the landscape of 2023, a fascinating thing has been happening just to share it proactively here is like the first half of this year, I think everyone, all of us were sitting there kind of going, wow, the landscape has changed immensely yeah. in terms of, you know, passive investing, oh, yeah. real estate, certainly anything tied to floating rate debt and bridge loans since the first half of 2022. <laughs> now looking forward, what's fascinating, and this is just really fresh. Um, so that's why I wanted to share it is like, Talking to folks, fellow LPs, fellow passive investors, you know, in the past two to three weeks in particular, um, there's almost this acceptance of the new reality positively. Uh, and, and I'll say that the new reality being that, oh, it looks like the sky is not necessarily falling as defined by a major black swan event knocking on wood right now. I have no crystal yeah, ball. We, we don't know, but the, the no sediment idea. is. 
Yeah, the sen- we're purely talking sentiment, right? Yeah. The acceptance of, well, the sky didn't fall. We're all kind of waiting to see if it does. But now at least every headline out there, which is like not exactly the most helpful guide ever, yeah. um, is making it sound like something like a soft landing. But there's really interesting distress stuff popping up. Like there's really interesting assets that are, you know, potentially going to be great acquisitions and therefore great investments that are starting to show up. And and it's because of, you know, the ramifications of, you know, the higher interest rates. And and so that is very interesting for those who are willing to look beyond the headlines. And that's where I try to live in terms of, you know, evaluating the landscape now and just asking the questions back to, you know, core principles as a passive investor. And when people ask me for my input, um, from our group and they're like, what would you do now? I'd be like, well, same way I start any, any month, any, any week, any deal is like coming back to what is the goal for the money? <laughs> you know, like what's the goal for the money? Because we all get so wrapped up in the details. We get so wrapped up in the headlines. Mm-hmm. Um, we get so wrapped up in one specific asset class. We skip right over this core question and it sounds simple, but it's not the smartest people. We're talking brilliant people, way higher IQs than me, man. Um, they'll sit there and say, well, but what that IRR looks way better on that deal than that deal. Be like, well, why are you, why are you even investing in all these categories in the first place? Let's talk about that. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, you know, you know, to the person making $400,000 a year, W2 income, you know, keeping them anonymous, like he's sitting there going, but I need cash flow." Be like, why? Why? Yeah. Are you quitting? No. Are you pivoting? No. Do you like your job? Yeah, enough. Cool. Um, then you're trying to preserve your capital, it sounds like. And it sounds like you're trying to get a good risk-adjusted return. And they're like, yeah, but cool. <laughs> I'm glad we're aligned that cash flow is not a priority for you currently in your life. Now go and click down to the next step, right? It's like, it's the yeah. core fundamentals about looking across the market that I think so many of us, including people that are brilliant, um, but man, do they overanalyze the spreadsheet before they even come back to that core principle of what's the goal for the money? someone doesn't um on their investments uh personally i think a lot of it comes down to like you were just told to do something like you were just told some somehow you read something or heard something or whatever and you heard that cash flow or heard that appreciation or heard whatever it is and you're like that's what i need right and you don't even think about like what am i really trying to achieve here what like what 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 is my goal because your goal is totally different from somebody else's goal and that's what we find like when we're buying apartment buildings and we're off by 25%, we're like, how did they buy that apartment building? Well, because they have different goals. They have different right. sources of money. They, they're, they're, there's just differences. And that's why they were able to pay way more than us. Or maybe they're stupid, but whatever. <laughs> Could be either. <laughs> Could be either. We, we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're in a lot of... Uh, investments as an LP, you've got this uh, investor club, which I want to dive into in a second here. Um, And so you see a lot of deals. You hear about a lot of deals. You know a lot of sponsors. I'm not asking in particular in your deals because you don't need to disclose what's happening in your deals necessarily. But as you're looking through these deals and the market and what's going on and, and talking with people, are you seeing deals that are struggling, having you know, capital calls, uh, potentially going to go into foreclosure or have a fire sale. Uh, are you seeing that right now in kind of your eye view? Mm. You know, I'm knocking on the wood on my desk again here. I'll just say we have in our own portfolio, we've had zero capital calls, zero anticipated capital calls. Um, wow. Great, grateful for that. Um, pause distributions. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that, that anyone that's out there that actually wants to do their homework on that will find out that that can just be a, a responsible, smart decision. Yeah. Um, if you have floating rate debt and a, a deal structured to weather this moment um, on the come out the other side, okay, because they have good NOI. So all that to say, uh, I mean, even just right now, I mean, I'm not plugging, I'm not plugging a deal. The deal is going to working on one right now. It's a 506C. That's why I can even talk about it anonymously here, but I'll say that the uh, it's going really well. Um, we're buying from a person who's struggling, um, you know, and, and I'm not making light of that. I'm not making fun of that. Um, I think that that's, so the answer would be yes. Uh, and have had some really fascinating things come across the desk as I'm sure that you have in the past three, six months where it's like, uh, you know, deals that you're like, 
wow, like I, I, I was sent this deal and they're asking, Hey, would you be interested in investing in it? And I'm like, pretty sure I saw this deal on the new, on the wall street journal highlighted not that long ago. Um, you know, and I, I think you're blowing up both you and I know which one that is. And that's, you know, we even sent a newsletter about it for our investing club back in Q2 when it first started looking like that was headed that way. And so it, it, that type of stuff is certainly happening. Um, but I think that right now, what's really important is to like, again, back to core fundamentals, you know, the team, the market, the deal, uh, that those three pillars, uh, which I certainly did not come up with someone years ago, actually way smarter than me did. Like those are the three ways you do risk any type of passive investment in this wonderful industry that we happen to live in. Right. And looking at a great market, there's nothing that's necessarily changed as to how I look at that. Um, looking at a great team, uh, a competent team with a track record, what has, uh, the only thing that's changed there for me is maybe some learnings around how does it, how do you ensure that the, the, the team, like the GP team, the sponsor team is there configured well for the marriage and not the dating, hmm. right? Can they go through this type of moment? Yeah. Um, they don't have to be best buds, but they do have to stick together and they do have to see this thing through. Yeah. Um, you know, that is, is so pivotal. And I think that you know, I'm really grateful that we don't have any, um, any deals that we're involved in where it's like, I I've seen that become an issue, um, yeah. on the, on, for, for real estate stuff. Right. Um, but other than that, I mean, of course, everyone out there would wish that they could go back and, and including the entire banking industry and say, man, Hmm. I wish that, uh, everyone kind of got a heads up from Jerome Powell that he's going to raise interest rates for the fastest and most dramatic, you know, hike yeah, right. in the last 40 years. I don't think anyone like no one thought that was going to happen that way. Um, so yeah, we just, I just had that conversation um, for, right before you and I jumped on with, with a, uh, another guy. It's like, it's easy to say in hindsight, like, oh yeah, well, of course interest rates were going to go up. But the smartest people in the world, like if you would have pulled a thousand of the best, the brightest economists. Yes. And and this happened, by the way, it, they they did pull them. They did ask them, and you know most people, yeah, interest rates were going to go up, but you're talking like 200 basis points. Like the more aggressive ones were like 300 basis points, right? And then and then what happens? Like, and and by the way, a lot of people said it can't go up. It can't go up more than a couple hundred basis points because it'll break the U.S. financial. Like we cannot pay back our debt if we right. if rates go if the fed fund rate goes up that high like we can't pay back our debt we're going to go bankrupt it can't happen until it does and then it, and then it happens and then it, does. and then it does and now Incredibly. and so it's it's you can't you can't blame um i don't know i mean it, it's just it happens and right. if if you're but if you're smart about it and i think a lot of people are going to say well i wish i would have been smart about it um, but you get different debt and you underwrite your deals and stress them a little differently. And, and of course now people are going, oh, well, I'm doing that now, but. Right. Um, it, it, you know, and I, I got to just call it out because, um, you know, we don't get many opportunities to be able to say this in this fun. I, this is my favorite kind of nerdy conversation in the best way. Um, you know, everyone out there who is touting fixed rates are the only way to go. Um, it's a very fascinating to see how boldly they are stating things like this after being so sheepishly quiet for the last like seven years. Yeah. So, um, just to say like, yeah, fixed rates are great until you want to exit a deal early. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And, and so not trying to throw blows here. I'm, I'm basically just saying, um, you know, hindsight is 2020 for everybody. Yep. And, and I think that right now to your point, Todd, like there's incredible deals popping up right now and the confidence and the courage, but also the long view, um, long view stated as in a five-year time horizon for a passive investor is going to serve them incredibly well. And so like, we're getting so fired up about some of the stuff that we're seeing right now, because on the buying side, um, you know, on acquisitions and like looking at, at, at them as investments, as a passive investor, I'm like, this is a unique moment. And we have no idea necessarily what's going to happen um, in the next 12, 24 months, big picture, but 
even if you buy the deal right right now and you buy it at a discount and it's a, it's discounted even back down close to or below 2018, 2019 price point levels, and you've got the debt structured well, and you're doing a value-add plan and, and whatever the deal happens to be, there's just so many great reasons to go take a look at some of the opportunities because there's not that many. Like yeah. there's it, just because yeah. we're talking about this, it, it doesn't mean that there's a whole, that there's thousands of great deals. Um, no. You have to keep your eyes open and then pounce on them. And when they pop up, be ready to move, but don't, but don't, uh, this is not trying to be too soapboxy, but it's tempting to just sit there and say, man, do I love my T-bills, right? Man, do I love my high yield interest rates? Yeah, those high yield interest rates are still not keeping up with inflation. So right. um, <laughs> in a savings account, to be clear. Um, so that's my that's my diatribe. <laughs> and, and they might have good, uh, they might have good cash on cash return today right now right compared to a lot of other things maybe even that multifamily deal or self-storage deal you know it's just like well geez that thing's paying me five percent and this i can get this t-bill for five percent but it doesn't have the value that can create either like so there's you know you're missing on that too so um yeah it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out but part part of that conversation too was and you mentioned this is the people that are saying fixed rate debt, fixed rate debt was the worst decision you could have made for a long time, right? Think think about it. if you bought in 2018 when interest rates were right around 5%, 2018, you would have bought a deal at 5%, locked in at 5%. If you would have locked that in it for, for five, 10 years, and, and you didn't sell before these interest rates got up, I mean, that was that was a terrible decision, right? If If you could have, bought it and you did a value add and you would have been, you know, sold it in 2022 before interest rates skyrocket. I mean, that would have been the best decision to have floating rate debt and a terrible yes. decision to have fixed rate. Not only do you have higher interest rate because interest rates went down, but you've got to pay these big fees that, that, you know, yield maintenance or, yes. or debt. Yeah. So it's like, that was a terrible decision. You probably lost millions of dollars because you made that decision. Right. And so it's easy in hindsight to just blame. Oh yeah, look, look these people that had floating right that they were t- terrible decisions. I'm so smart, but you were really stupid for ten years leading up to this. You know, you're not God. stupid, but you made the you bet the wrong way, right? So right. So there's there's it, it's never there's never a perfect answer. Um, I don't think, but well, but you're nailing it, which is like. Uh... I just want to hit on this very briefly because there's so many wonderful threads I want to pull on there, but just selfishly because it's fun <laughs> to talk about. And I appreciate it, Todd. Um, the, the thing I would say is the concept at its most fundamental that I have found very helpful and and the members of our investing club have repeatedly said that this is a helpful thing for them is um, it, once again, so basic. It's like making a great decision on investing for me right now will always be a snapshot in time because all you can do, any of us can do yeah. is make the best decision with the information presented in front of us currently. Yep. So that this is also why I, I, I really look at some of the, you know, the told you so's out there, good market, bad market, bull market, bear market, whatever told you so's are an ego play for most people dropping them for all people dropping them. Yep. And right now it's irrelevant noise. What matters is the financials and the team and the market in front of us at any given time with the best and most robust set of information that we have available, period, period. And, you know, I'll give a very specific example. Like uh, if I'm looking at a underwrite for a property, let's assume the team is, this is by far for a brand new investor. If they happen to hear this, they've never done a single LP position or invested before. Look at the spreadsheet. Once you've looked at the team, like that goes without saying, I hopefully I don't have to qualify that for folks, but the team matters way more than the IRR you're over you're overanalyzing. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're, if you're just <laughs> focusing on IRR, you're focusing on the wrong thing. hundred percent. Right. And, and, and is the team first, let's assume that the hardest part of the vetting is already done on, on the who, um, and you've looked at the market, then like, ultimately take a look at things that are present data measurable. Like what is the team assuming for things like rent growth? Yeah. You know, if they're plugging an eight in there for annual rent growth run, Right. Like it's just that that's the stuff that uh, in present day, you can make smarter decisions on it. Look back at 2020, 
COVID, man, that was a wild, wild, wild year. Um, and people act like we haven't had any recessionary moments in the past decade. I'm like, hey, remember that time we all wore masks for a while? <laughs> like, remember that time that suddenly you know, commercial real estate underwrites on multifamily went from having like 5% plus annual rent bumps to going to zero within like a month? Right. Like, like that happened. That was yeah. three years ago. <laughs> Does everyone remember that? Um, you know, it happened like, now actually again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and now here we are again, it, it, but like yeah. fishbowl memory and I'm guilty of it too. Yeah. Um, but like that's that it's so simple, at least when, when it, it helps me get back to uh, baseline, you know, back, back, back to true North, you know, whatever the compass is in our minds that we want to get focused on for what is correct. And, and it's like, yeah, those things are measurable, whether it's a rent assumption on a value add deal. Um, I'm sure you can talk about cap rates all day, but like, that's really the basics. Like take the information you can in the, in the current circumstance. And, uh, yep. I appreciate you going down that philosophical quantitative diatribe there for a bit. Yeah. And what's important is that you're looking at, it's so easy to look at today and go, this is always going to be happening. Right. It, it was so easy in 2021, 2022, early part of 2022, when, when rents were going up by 15% to go, Oh, they can't slow down. Like, how can they slow down? Look at inflation. Inflation's isn't running away. Rents are going to go up, right? But now, right. you know, many markets, especially in the south, south, south and west, like they're going down, right? And and we're not in those markets, but I'm sure the, there's plenty of people in those markets that are going, oh my gosh, rents are just going to continue to go down. I don't see any end in sight, right? Right. And, and you're just stuck in this moment of time, whatever's happening today, versus just looking and going, okay, what? like what's reality here where have things been how do they yeah we have ebbs and flows but we kind of we kind of know like rents go up two to three percent depending on your market all that kind okay well for underwriting in a market that rents traditionally go up two percent let's let's underwrite two percent i don't care if it goes up ten percent this year and negative three this year it's just two percent like let's just be smart about it just be responsible about it yeah Yeah. It makes so, so much sense when you say it that way, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so easy. I get. I find myself getting caught up in that too. Like I find myself, ah, oh, it's never going to end. Uh, you know, it's like, right. oh, interest rates are just going to keep on going up forever. Ah, like, you know, right. It's right. like, well, slow down. Let's, let's let's think about this. You know, it's it's so. Everything is short term, and it all kind of goes back to the mean, right? It just does. And unfortunately for all of us we're humans are emotional creatures, man. And (laughs) every single one of us, um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, this morning before coffee, depending on how much my five-year-old wants to have a tantrum, that's a special moment too, you know, but it's when looking at an underwrite, when like assessing a market's viability or long-term for buying a big asset that houses real human beings and families, you know, a big multifamily deal or people, a place where Americans love to store our stuff that we buy, but we don't necessarily need like a storage unit, um, but we keep paying for because we like our stuff. It's all of those basics are there. And I think the challenge for everyone ultimately as an investor, a passive investor is managing one's temperament. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Cause, cause not frankly, none of this, the quantitative stuff matters. If you can't look at it with an even keel, um, yeah. n- none of it, vetting a, a partnership matters unless you can keep your, your temper in check. And you know, none of the things matter about a great merits of a market. If you're sitting there going, Oh, but this is so exciting. Be like, got it. Glad you're excited. I get excited too. What do you see when you're not excited? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Let's pivot in uh, Madison investing your company. You said it's an investing club, like explain to me what Madison investing is all about. And uh, what, how you play a role in it. So let's first just focus on Madison investing. Like, what is it all about? Yeah. Yeah. You know, this might sound a little bit old school. Um, This became something by building relationships on a one-to-one basis and still is now, Uh, you know, for the majority of the time that we've been around, we've had, you know, more than a few hundred now active investors deploying capital um, alongside us with sponsors that we, we go out their own money personally, Jennifer and I, uh, I look at deals every week and I say, okay, that's a team that I want to invest my own money with because we think there's alignment on our, you know, we have like a vetting framework just on the who, you know, and, and we put our own money in and then we wait a few cycles so we can see, okay, 
How are those nuts and bolts looking? Is there clean financial reporting? Did they actually buy the asset that they said they were going to buy? Does it have an address? I'm joking, but I'm also kind of serious. Uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, all those things about, is there a predictable, repeatable business plan? And so we go out yeah. and we invest our money, um, fly out and take a look at their assets and shake their hand, look, you know, really look under the hood. And if that ends up working, uh, then we'll start taking a look at their deals on a case-by-case basis. And uh, we've done that now uh, 45 times. And, and so, you know, we, we, we try to marry, not date, not to use that metaphor again, but uh, we don't just jump into active, active stuff with teams. We haven't really gotten to know that, that specific way. Um, yeah. and, and, and so it, it's become a matter of just building great relationships with people uh, who are other passive investors, but disoriented by all the stuff we've been talking about a moment ago, Todd, which is like, there's just a lot to look through. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of confusion and I share my lens on it. Um, and sometimes that's really helpful for people and they decide to come along and and do a deal that we've shared with them, uh, with some of our partners. But I, by design at the beginning of this journey, I, I very, very concretely decided I don't want to become a lead sponsor. Um, and it was, it, it, that was a formative decision because uh, a mentor of mine was like, well, what kind of state do you live in? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, do you live in a money state or a deal state? And I was like, well, I paid four hundred thirty thousand dollars for a duplex that makes two hundred bucks <laughs> cash flow, so I probably I probably don't live in a deal state. Um, you know, my, my heart goes out to my my people I know personally who work in commercial real estate in California. Of course, that is not a broad statement that condemns all, but I will just say, <laughs> yeah. that, um, you know, it, within Madison Investing, it's just a pleasure and a, and a privilege to like have built trust with so many people across the country uh, with something that began really as uh, us investing and then ultimately trying to serve other folks that just don't have the time to get on a plane. They don't have the interest or willingness to dive into spreadsheets at this way, to go and meet sponsors in their market and walk properties, to go and and uh, nerd out on this stuff this way. Um, and that's what uh, that's what we do. We'll share you know, a small handful of deals every year to our passive investor group. And I've met every single one of our members uh, myself. That's really cool. So that, that, I mean, essentially you're kind of a set of checks and balances a little bit. You're, you're, they can go do their own research and probably should do their own research on the sponsor, on the deal and all that kind of stuff. But you've said, Hey, I've also have some experience with these people, uh, this company we've invested with them in the past. Um, their deals have worked out in the past. You know, I've looked at this deal and I feel like we're going to invest in this one. I feel good about it. And you're kind of saying, Hey, you know, Invest alongside me if you if you want. Is that kind of how? Exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. I think it's really cool uh, that you're in, investing first in the deals. You're working through those deals. You're getting to know the sponsors before you bring them to your investors. That's I would say fairly unique. Quite frankly, um, I talk to a lot of people that are raising capital for other people's deals. Some of them do it right, some of them don't. But regardless, I think most of them aren't spending a lot of time on that due diligence. They don't know the sponsors a lot of times until they do their second or third deal with them. But they've already right. raised money for that those first you know deal or two or three before they really get to know them. Um, and you know, and they, they oftentimes have never met them. Um, and the other thing that I I tell people, so I do, I coach mentor people that are wanting to do this business. And a lot of, you know, one of the easier ways to do things is to raise money for somebody else's deal. Right. So a lot of them want to do that. And the biggest piece of advice I give people is look, don't, it's, this is the dirty way of saying it, but don't be a prostitute. Like don't go out there and find every last sponsor and raise money for them. You pick your one, your two, your three, whatever it is. I mean, you probably have a few more because you've been doing this a long time, but you pick your few horses and you ride with them. And like you said, you marry them. You marry them. It's, you're not dating these people. Your, your goal, it sounds like, with Madison is not to do one deal and never do one again. Now, that might happen if you don't like that sponsor, right? But you're not bringing your investors to them either. Right. So exactly. I mean, and I haven't heard that, that, uh, that analogy for it before, but I mean, frankly, <laughs> in the concept, I, I completely agree with of what not to do. 
Yeah. Um, it's ultimately something that is the path that I think is the most appropriate that we have very dogmatically adhered to is the boring one (laughs) is the best kind of boring, you know, and vanilla uh, it's, it's vanilla and, and done right. It should be, you know, it it should be, it should not be exciting. Um, it, it, like when the, when the thing exits, I'm grateful we've had 13 exits to date. Um, you know, but of those it's, you know, those we celebrate and we're so excited for our investors when we're like, Hey, that went really well. (laughs) Um, you know, let, let's go, you want to go do that again. And they're, they're like, yeah, because that's the moment, right. It is ultimately the time when it's been fun and celebrate at the end of that whole period. Uh, yep. But, but uh, it's incredibly disorienting. I think it's pe- especially right now um, when you've got so much noise in the market and so much exuberance of people who are jumping in into this space saying, Oh, I want to go be the next big sponsor or I want to go work with the next big sponsor. So let me go highlight their deals. And it'd be like, best of luck to you. A lot of people doing that. And it's a, it's an industry I have come to love, but what I think I don't love is I don't love the fast and loose dynamic. Um, I don't love, uh, you know, rushing through any kind of like deal process for someone. I want, this is a, these are big decisions. Like, and sometimes I think people lose sight of that. Like, like, like these are big decisions for folks, whether, you know, it's a 25 K check. That's a lot of money for the average person. That's a fortune for most humans on the planet. Right. Um, But I I would say that for people cutting, you know, half a million dollar checks and and above, like we're grateful to call those ones partners, but like that is it. Every dollar matters. And that when it comes to working with the, in this industry, it's just important to remember all that. These are, these are real deals, you know, and, and the, the rigor matters, the, yep. you know, the, 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 patience matters and um, good relationships with real long-term partners matter. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Man, uh, a lot more we could talk about, but I, we, I got a couple of questions I want to ask you before we wrap. Um, what's a mistake that you've made um, or maybe even something that you've seen made, but what, what's a mistake and how have you learned from it? Yeah. How many do you need? <laughs> just one, um, man. Just that's the hardest part is just coming up with the one, right? Yeah, it certainly is. You know, I I think that uh you kind of hit on this when we were chatting about taking time, getting getting to know people. And you know, the the basics of you know, trust building, getting to know people in person, um, you know, getting on a Zoom calls as needed, like it's never wise to rush that. And, and, and I think that one of the mistakes that I will have made in the past, and, and this is actually like on a personal investment that we made, this is, you know, a ways back was like taking someone else's word as to the viability of, of a sponsor. Right. And, um, of their, of their track record of, of their ability to go execute. And, and I think like looking back again, this was a personal investment that we made. Um, but it was like, Okay, no, it has to be done. It has to be done by us. It has to be done as by us firsthand. Um, and and I think that that's the kind of stuff that really really matters um, in terms of mistakes. I'm not going to go into the tech career stuff because there's a thousand different things I I've learned. You know, man, <laughs> managing teams of 200 people when you're like 26 years old and not ready for it is like the definition of being over your skis. So that's how you learn really fast, though. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> is is it? Our tech in in the tech industry, are people willing and open to look at real estate in as as an investment, or is it because there's some industries I feel like it's just four hundred one ks like mm-hmm. you're you're an odd duck if you're doing something different. Is that the case in the tech industry, or is it the little bit more open? Is it, is it difficult? I would imagine that's a good amount of your investors. Is it, is it yeah, a lot of sure. training to them or is it, uh, they're already pretty open? Okay. That's a good question. Todd. I, I, I really think, so to your point, like half of our group at least is, uh, is tech industry folks from across the country too, but heavy on Bay area at first. Yeah. That's how we started. You yeah. Know, that, that, yeah. That was my network. Right. Um, so the challenge is primarily two things. Two reasons that is tricky, or there's a friction point, two friction points for 
most tech people, not, not the people who have already gotten deep into reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, not the, those people are the ones who are further into this rap, wonderful yeah. rabbit hole yeah. for the average person. Um, number one, angel investing looks way more sexy, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's great to say, let's get a 25 X on my multiple on my dollar. Yeah. So if anyone wants exciting rocket ship, high failure rate, extremely high potential return, they're going to be bored out of their mind by a predictable 2x equity multiple with some great tax benefits and some <laughs> cash flow, won't they? So that's the first one. Yeah, um, that That's the one I thought that, that you would say is that like, look, a lot of these guys and gals, like they're used to seeing like they've, they've heard the Amazon story. Like that's what they want. <laughs> right. And, and no judgments. Seriously. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it's just, I'm not as that's outside the area of my core expertise professionally these days. Have I done that? Yes. Have I deployed capital? Yes. But that's number one. Um, the second one, and this is going to be the my absolute best attempt to convey this in a way that comes across as completely Switzerland neutral is, is um, you know, being over a massively strong IQ and a data science background makes someone extremely confident in their ability to analyze. They are a de definition of a quant. Being a quant has zero relevance to vetting the competency, playbook, track record, portfolio management capabilities of a real estate sponsor. Yep. If you can get, if a person can't get over that, and they, and they often do, but if they can't get over that, they're going to have a hard time putting yep. together a portfolio they're proud of if they want to passively invest in these asset classes, right? And yep. you, I mean, I know, I know you know this, but... You can over you can over engineer a spreadsheet all day, but again, yep. um, it's it comes down to all of those wonderful things that go into managing an asset. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we have a we don't have that many people in the tech industry. We do have a few, but we, that's just not our niche. But we do have a lot more ed, that are engineers, and they are the same way. Just that over analytical. You know, they're just looking at every single number. Hey, what what about this number on this one line item? And it's like. That's what you're focused on. Mm. We might be off by four dollars on that. Yes, you're right. We might be off by four dollars, but I don't. That's not going to wreck right. the deal. Like, right. right. Take take the take the fifteen point three projected IRR, and now it's a fifteen point two nine. Is that going to make the deal or break the right. deal? Whereas, just to give a very specific, you know, response to round out that the effectiveness, if someone happens to be, perhaps be in that profile and they're listening to this, going, "Man, these guys are jokers." Um, you know they should over, they should overanalyze that that sell more um, on that spreadsheet. Take a, a you know Texas what was it twenty twenty one Q1 deep freeze I think that was twenty twenty one yeah you know how much does that sell on that spreadsheet matter if you have sponsor A same spreadsheet this theoretical sponsor A owns a self storage facility and there or or actually even better multifamily property like we were in a couple of deals that exited really well killer equity multiples at the end of these deals mm -hmm. these investors are very happy. The Texas deep freeze caused pipes bursting across dozens of deals. I know this because I sent the emails out to our investor base, which are not very happy all those exited deals. And that sell on that theoretical spreadsheet can be off by four bucks. How much does that number matter when the sponsor sponsor A knows what they're doing and how to react within a 24-hour period to get the, the, the response in place? Sponsor yep. B, maybe they had that, that, that number right. They've never done it before. I'd rather be with sponsor A. Yep. <laughs> you know, and, and I know I'm just beating the dead horse here, but I, I do think that uh, it's just so incredibly common. Does, does the spreadsheet matter? Of course it matters. <laughs> of course it matters. It matters a lot to the bank too, um, but, it, but it matters immensely more. All of those capabilities and repeatable processes and failure response, uh, the ability of someone having gone through hard stuff, like you were asking about earlier, Todd, like, what are they going to do when the, uh, the fit hits the shan, right? Love it. Love it. Uh, favorite book. Got to give it to essentialism, um, hmm. by Greg McCune. Uh, I, did, uh, I think that might be a first uh, on this show. So I've never heard it, but uh, Greg, uh, I love, I love hearing new books. Yeah. You know, it's, um, so business book, uh, I've, I've gotten through it three times now over the years. Hmm. It, it hit for me at a, it, there's probably a couple others that do this well. Um, but for me, why it mattered at that time. When I first got my hands on it in like 2016, 2017 was, uh, it gives you at least five ways to say no and keep your social graces intact. Hmm. Uh, 
you know, I think the first chapter starts off with, you know, this is a shocker probably for folks, but like it's a tech founder telling a story about why he had to leave the birth of his son, I believe, um, because he was just so in the wrong side of all of that balance wise in his life. And uh, it, it hit for me at that moment when I was working like 80 hours in office a week and also trying to go learn all this investing stuff. And I felt like I had a you know toddler son and another one on the way. And I was like, I need to start clearing up some, I need to clear out some time and focus on priorities. Um, and so I think that is where most people miss out on their potential, honestly, for life, not to go zero to 60 on it. It's just, I think it's hard to say, no, we don't want to let down our friends. We don't want to let down. We don't want to say no to dinners and coffees and, you know, going to, going to concerts and all the fun stuff that I love, man. Uh, but, but you don't, you know, whether you're the Pope, you're Oprah, you're the president, whatever, like it's all the same 24 hours in a day. And, and, yeah. and we, we gotta, we gotta find our way to focus on what matters. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Last question. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? Hmm. <clears throat> I was thinking about this a lot. Um, so I didn't want to mess it up. <laughs> the, I think first and foremost, uh, multiple income streams. Uh, I have to say that first because it was something I didn't understand for so long, you know, big money from one job, from one employer, you don't control that income as much as you think you do. Right. Um, go, go, go add more. And that's what we've aimed to do over time. Uh, the second one would be about leverage. And this doesn't mean alone. Um, th th what this means is figuring out how to leverage in, there's so many great social media content creators out there that are hitting on this topic. You know, I got to call out Hormozy because he probably made it the most branded packageable out there, but there's different forms of leverage and like figure out how to, uh, generate and grow your wealth using leverage, whether it's the leveraging your expertise that is unique to you, whether it is uh, leveraging time and figuring out how to make more of it to focus on where you can generate more wealth for your, your family and the people that you are, um, that you're, you're going to do, do right by, whether it's your investors or your, your family. Um, the third would be, oh man, I mean, just got to say it is I'm not going to try to sound too Dave Ramsey here, but I'll just say like, uh, you, you, you got to make sure that you don't bite off more than you can chew. You know, it's about, it's, it's, it's a bit of a frugality comment, but I'm not like a fire movement person to the financially independent retire early where you live on a shoestring budget either. I just think that, uh, if someone sits there and asks themselves truly, like what is enough, right? Like, like, like what is enough? Like what, like for our family, for our lives, for, if you don't have kids, you know, like what is enough, um, man, as a guy who turned 40, and this year, I got to say, uh, I don't need as much as I thought I did when I was 20. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm a pretty simple dude in a lot of ways. And I think that uh, not everyone gets there. I very, I don't need a jet. You know, I, I don't need a yacht. I, what I do want is as much maximum flexibility as I can, optionality with my family, uh, spend time with them, do go on a six-week living experience in Portugal this summer. Um, what is enough? And that, that that tends to get me back to center on, not wanting to go buy another guitar, you know, not wanting to go and, you know, buy a, buy a car or something. Um, yeah. It's so that, that'd be it. Sorry for the long winded breakdown, but um, get some color. Well, I think that that last one definitely has to do with where you want to go. Right. If, if you need the jet, if you need the yacht um, and I'm the same as you, like, I don't, I don't, not only do I not need that stuff, I don't want that stuff, but it doesn't matter whether if you do want that stuff, if you do need that stuff, it looks different, right? Right. Um, no you got to go a little farther. You got it, right? But you have to know what you, just because somebody else wants it doesn't mean that that's where you need to go. That's right. You know, at least, and, and by all means, if you're listening, it's being like, man, that guy doesn't want me to buy this toy. I'd be like, not the message. You know, the message is, whatever whatever makes sense for you but 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 take the time to figure that out <laughs> yeah you know and i i i have zero answers to the existential challenging question of what is enough you know like i don't know ask me every morning i'll try to try to give you the best answer it <laughs> might change I, I, and what is going to change throughout <laughs> throughout your life too right enough is different and looks different at every different chapter of your life which you're going to go through many um i already know i have and i'm I'm the same, basically same age as you. And it's like, you're, you're always changing and you should be, hopefully you are. Yeah. So it's a beautiful thing. It's one of the best parts of being a human, right? <laughs> nope. Nope.
Love it. Well, Spencer, man, this is this has been great. Uh, I think we could definitely keep going. It's been a great conversation. Appreciate uh, you being on the show. How can our listeners uh, get in touch with you, learn more about uh, Madison Investing and connect with you? Yeah. Um, so we have a website, madisoninvesting.com. Um, so folks can go there, you know, check out what we're up to and you know, sign up for our investing club. You will have to just talk to me. Um, you know, it's, it's a way to get to know each other and actually build a relationship that we were talking about earlier, Todd. Uh, thank you. You know, thank you. This was a blast. And we got to cover so much ground and stuff that I love to nerd out on. So hopefully yeah. it's valuable for folks. Awesome. Again, really appreciate it, uh, Spencer. And you have a fantastic rest of the day. You too. Thanks, Todd. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.